This is the business of sports. Let's talk Super Bowl and Fox Sports. Every single thing that occurs, I want people to remember this is a business. Guaranteed money isn't necessarily guaranteed. Michael Barr. How high can these valuations go? Scott Soshnank. Duke. Everybody loves rooting against them, right? Evan Novi Williams. Off the field, the NBA has never been buzzier. And the leaders in the sports industry. Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred. Mike Oresco, he's the commissioner of the American Athletic Conference. Jared Smith, president of Ticketmaster. Mindy race car driver, Elio Castroneves. Bloomberg Business of Sports. From Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Michael Barr. I'm Evan Novi Williams. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Every week at this time, plus Mondays and Wednesdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Today, we sit down with Richard Petty, former president and CEO of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, the parent company of the Toronto Raptors and Maple Leafs. Petty oversaw a number of transformational projects during his tenure, including the acquisition of the Raptors. We're going to talk all about that straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports show. But first, now let's look at some of the topics of the week. (laughs) I like this one. Uh, The Dodgers, they will fill your gas tank while you're at the stadium. you got to explain this. Yeah, some of these, when we say the biggest stories of the week, uh, sometimes maybe we stretch the biggest, but sometimes creative, and sometimes the ones that make the most sense and the ones that can add value to a team's customers, I think we should talk about. And this is one of them. The Dodgers, they signed an agreement with a company called Fuster. Fuelster. So what you do is, you know, you, you get in your car, which people in L.A., Los Angelinos, are apt to do. You drive out there to the game. Let's say, oh, wait a minute, I'm a little low on gas. I'm under a quarter of a tank, and I'm. Uh, uh, you don't have to stop, Bar. You park your car at the stadium. You go inside. You have the app for the, you know, the the fuelster. You leave your gas thing unlocked, and I guess now it'll be a big siphoning problem sometime in LA. <laughs> but they will come and fill up your car while you're at the game. Wait, that, now, th- th- will they drive it to, obviously, a filling station? or No, no, they bring the gas to mobile you. unit. So yeah. it's going to be like a, like a pit stop almost. Like a pit stop, yeah. So they will <laughs> come to you and flip your, your car. Tires. And in a place like, <laughs> listen, in New York, lots of people take subway to Yankees games. Even Yankees, Mets, fine. But in L.A., everybody drives. We know that. It's a car culture. This is just sort of an added value to that car culture. It's a service that you can partake in if you want to. It's a perfect stadium for it, yes. for sure. My one question is, how big is the markup on the gas? If this is like a the rental car stop near the gas station price? It says, uh, I will never be. Eben, it says, no membership fees. Yeah. And I don't know the exact. It says, pri- good question, by the way, because that's the one I want to know. Prices are competitive to the gas stations in the area. Now, is that... A nickel competitive? Is that a quarter competitive per gallon? Yeah. I don't know. That's the big question. But you're right. I mean, the, this is a a service that not many people at, at Dodger Stadium are probably going to use, but there's probably some value for the Dodgers in doing something unique that some percentage of people that drive, 1%, are going to want to partake in each each game. And, and I'd love to see the calculus on uh, kind of You and I, I love the, the perk of if you have like a Subaru parking section, mm. if, you buy, if you have a Subaru, you park for free. Yep. Like we're big at, on at that. Subaru Stadium, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're big on that. But listen, just a, just a value add bar. Uh, people are looking for value adds when they go to stadiums these days and ingress and egress. Anything that makes it easier. And this is one of those, oh, shoot, ball game starts. Not that Dodger fans have to be there on time. No offense, Dodger <laughs> no, <they> fans. <laughs> yeah, not exactly. Not that they have to be there for the first pitch. Uh, but added value. Oh, I don't have time to stop. Oh, there's a line. I don't feel like it. You know what? We'll just go to the stadium and have it done there. That I think is a great idea, and it's. I think more people are going to use it than you think. 
They should wash your car, too. Yeah. That's next. <laughs> uh, Every move. high school fundraiser should be in the parking lot of stadiums. <laughs> uh, this one is a lot more serious. The Portuguese clubs have been raided on suspicion of tax fraud. And we're talking about uh, several soccer clubs involved in this. Several. I mean, the big name, I mean, it, even if you're a casual soccer fan, uh, you think of Portugal, you think of Benfica, Porto. I mean, these, these are big name clubs. And here we go again with soccer, Evan. It's like, if it's if it's not FIFA, uh, here we are now at the club level in Portugal. Um, it seems like, like payments due to the Portuguese tax office were averted somewhere else. Uh, included in the raid was uh, Jorge Mendes, who's uh, Ronaldo's agent. So we're talking top teams, top names, another black eye for soccer. Yeah, this is a wide-reaching one. 76 searches carried out, 180 police officers, 101 tax inspectors, uh, 16 magistrates took part in the operation. And you mentioned Cristiano Ronaldo. You know, don't forget, you know, was it last year, two years ago? He was fined $21 million for, for tax, tax, evasion. tax fraud. He yeah, avoided yeah. going to jail by, by taking the sentence. The, the, the whole, you know, it's, it's no secret that, you know, the, a lot of these big soccer stars, Lionel Messi also had, a, was, yep. had, had tax concerns as well. Um, but I'm you know, certainly interested to see where, where this one shakes out because it certainly seems like this is a, this is a wide-reaching one. Now, let's talk about the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference because that has arrived. Yeah, every year. Uh, our friend Daryl Morey and uh, Jessica Gelman from Craft Analytics, uh, they started this, uh, forgive me at this point, I don't know how many years ago. Um, it brings together some of the biggest names in sports, and it's actually starting to branch outside of sports. They're just big names. And they have panel discussions, and there are papers, academic papers, competitions. Uh, there's like a job fair atmosphere for for younger, for students. Um Certainly, the analytics revolution is not dead. If anything else, it's only intensifying. And this is the biggest example of that. And I certainly wanted to to at least note, because it is in the analytics world, it is the biggest conference of the year. And it's always fun to see who's coming up with what next. Yeah, and I think we're, we're kind of entering what I think is this next phase of analytics uh, where the technology on players is getting better, right? So if you think about the major sports leagues, the NFL has chips in every player's shoulder pads. The NHL has sensors on jerseys and chips in the puck. NBA has a deal with Second Spectrum, cameras in every arena that tracks every player's movement, where they are and where the ball is. MLS just signed the similar deal, cameras in every stadium, tracks player movement, tracks where the ball is. If you had gone to the original Sloan conference and said, guys, six you people know, said Dorka Palooza, yeah. as Bill Simmons dubbed it, yeah. <laughs> By the time you hit 2020, all these leagues are going to have this amount of data for you to pour over. I think they would have been giddy with excitement. So we're kind of entering this like new phase where you're right, Scott, the, the analytics revolution is not dead, but you know, teams are now have so much more information to go off. Well, with. really, this what it will separate, you know, Evan, and it's really interesting to see when these teams are given this vast wealth of data, the key is, what do I do with it? It's great to have it, but if you don't know what to do with it, then it's useless. And there's also the, let's see how it shakes out in the competitive advantage world of, what do we value? You had the Oakland A's valued on base percentage. Maybe some other team values something else even more. Some team might value banging on the garbage can. And by the way, they combined... Jeff Lunau was one of the biggest analytics guys with the banging on the yeah. garbage can. So uh, it, it's just a, a really 
interesting group of people who get together from, by the way, commissioners, owners, players, executives, fans, CEOs. You bring together politicians. Ken Jennings. Ken Jennings, Jeopardy winner. <laughs> you bring together this, this a wide array of people just to really talk about what can we do, how do we make things better. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, the, to that point, Scott, it, it ties into the business of sports in so many ways, but you know, when you think about Billy Bean and, and, and the genius that yeah. he kind of recognized so early on, what he did was he tailored his analytic strategy to his business strategy, right? He knew he couldn't spend like the New York Yankees. So given that money was tight and they couldn't afford the best players, he built the analytics tools to devise what's the best way for us to approach this on base percentage. And think about it. Isn't it interesting though? Like what's the object of the game in baseball? What's the whole object is to get on base and come around and go home. Right. Right. So you would think it'd be rather easy to say, I value the people who get on base a lot, but it wasn't, it was him. There was the big boppers, the home runs that he didn't want people swinging and missing. He liked people who walked, who took pitches and we see what happened. No, they didn't win the World Series, but they came awfully close for a team with kind of the mediocre payroll that they had. And, and now that feels obvious. And yes. kind of the big thing now in baseball, swing playing, right? Which yeah. I think if you had told that to Billy Bean 10 years ago, you'd be like, well, I don't really understand what, you know, so, and, and soon swing playing and, sp- and spin rate will be common, you know, everybody like, oh, will be it looking makes total at that. sense next? that you want to know the plane yeah. at which the, the batter's bat travels through the through the strike zone, and then there'll be something else. So so no question, it's just going to keep evolving upward. What piques my interest, before we have to move on, is that I want analytics involved in so I can do my, my homework, so I can handicap any team that I want to try to make the best bet that I can on that team. I'm, and I'm just curious if they have a service for individuals like that. Well, action I mean, Network, paging yeah, Patrick Keene. Yeah. Paging Patrick Keene in front of the program, <laughs> yeah. sure. I mean, certainly the analytics and the data is available these days to fans who wish to search it out. And once again, maybe you're smarter than everybody else. I turn my head to Evan. <laughs> I highly doubt it. Maybe you're smarter than everybody else and you'll value something and you'll put it in your little algorithm and you'll win all this money. Maybe, maybe not. But the data is there. That, that's the point. The data is there. Now it's up to the folks to realize how do we utilize it smarter than anybody else. Now let's get to this week's interview with Richard Petty, former president and CEO of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, the parent company of the Toronto Raptors and Maple Leafs. Now, Richard, let me start with this because everything, whether it's in the office, out of the office, but clearly in sports, people are talking about the coronavirus. And I imagine that this has you with some flashbacks because you've lived through this already. Well, I did live through this one. I lived through one that was even much more dangerous. Uh, you know, the, this virus kills at the rate of about 3.4%. Uh, when we dealt with the SARS in 2003 in Toronto, it had a kill rate of over 9%, but not near as many people got it. I mean, the, this, this virus has already way past the number of infected people than SARS. But it was a pretty major thing in, in Toronto and, and was very top of mind with me back in 2003. Now, you had it going on during a playoff round. Do you remember uh, talk of cancellation or talk of playing games without fans? And what was your preparation like? Well, it, it really hit Toronto hard. I mean, we, I think over 40 people died in Toronto. And a number of them were caregivers like doctors and nurses. It was, it was pretty horrific. Um, I don't remember ever having a discussion with Gary Bettman about it. It did happen in the playoff series with Philadelphia. It was a series that went on seven games. 
And I, I was pretty anxious. I mean, we had 19,000 people in the building. They're all about 20 inches apart. Um, and I thought the fear was very much there, but I don't ever recall. So it was a fear, and I, I can't tell you that we did anything about it. Uh, we can talk about what they're doing now for this virus, but I don't remember doing anything other than I had a lot of angst that, you know, could we play it? Would we have to play it in front of an empty building? The Raptors were not in the playoffs that year. I wasn't worried about that. Well, I was worried they weren't in the playoffs, but not worried about <laughs> yeah. the virus, but very, very much the least. Richard, when, you know, as we record this right now, really the only major disruption so far to the North American sports calendar uh, has been a few college basketball teams that refuse to travel or refuse to host. I imagine that will change dramatically, you know, in the coming days and weeks. But can you put us in the mind of, of an, a stadium operator right now, if you if you have an NHL or an NBA team or both, kind of what are you starting to think about, about the possibility that you may actually have some serious disruptions either to the games themselves or to whether you're inviting fans into the games? Well, I think that that talk is going at at a very high level. I mean, both commissioners of the NBA and the NHL are smart, smart guys. They're, they might not want to talk about it with you. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. I, I can I confirm that, yeah. Richard. No no arena operator right now wants to talk about <laughs> this tried. with anybody. Well, uh, and I, they might have gag orders, but they might just be prudent and not choosing to talk themselves. So no doubt that you've already seen the NBA. Adam Silver's come out with some stuff like, you can do fist bumps now, but you can't do high fives. So, uh, you know, in their typical fashion, the NBA is so on top of everything. But Gary will be on t- as well. So I imagine the discussions will be being led by them because, you know, we have something like 20 cases in Ontario right now. But you've got more cases. You've got deaths in Washington State. Uh, I think you just had one in California. It is moving. And there's nothing, you know, closing borders is not going to stop this. This virus does not adhere to borders, and it's coming. So they've got to be chatting about it and thinking about what they do. So the individual franchises are worried. Uh, I don't know. I understand that uh, the new Scotiabank Arena, what's called the Air Canada Centre, has got sanitizers there. Whether that was their own initiative, I don't know, or is that coming from the league. But you're going to see more. You're definitely going to see more because it's coming. Well, what's sad about it is, and you mentioned about Adam Silver, the NBA also said to the players, do not take any pins or any jerseys or any balls to be signed uh, so you can avoid the coronavirus. And unfortunately, the fans are going to suffer from this. Yeah, it's, uh, and the fans of the ultimate suffer. Uh, you know, the 19 or 20,000 that want to see it live, or, you know, if it goes to the extreme, they're not going to see it in person. And, yes, television audiences and social media audiences will decline. But, you know, that will be the ultimate killer is that, you know, it will be closed off to fans. I mean, I understand that God, I think it's Italy now is playing in, and playing football in empty stadiums. All their sporting That's events in Italy, no, no fans, yeah. Same with France and Switzerland to a, to a degree as well. Richard, let's talk about the business implications here. If you are an NBA team... And you have to play, let's say, three home games with no fans. How much does that affect your bottom line? How much does that change kind of the entire outlook for the full season, business-wise, if suddenly you know you have, you have disruptions in that way? Uh, before I get into the, the numbers, because my numbers will be a little old, but I think I can take a shot at that. I'll tell you one business-related thing. So when SARS was happening, um, my chief financial officer and myself were on a road tour to raise 
hundreds of million dollars of debt on MLSE. And um, we were presenting to the New York State Teachers um, uh, Group, not, not the ones who owned our company, but the New York Group. And we flew into New York to make a financial presentation to them. And when we got there, they didn't want to see us because they were worried about it. So it was affecting the business side. Now, we talked them into seeing us, but that's how it was starting to affect back then. So it'll affect business more than hot dogs and ticket revenue just in so many ways. I mean, just so many ways. It's almost mind-boggling to think of how it's going to permeate through everything. But the financials on the thing, well, there's a gate. Now, in playoffs, the, the leagues get a big whack of the gate. Uh, but there's still multi-million dollars for the gate. I mean, what the Raptors play last year, they played all four rounds. They brought in a lot of money. And then there's per caps. The per caps always increase at that time, and you're making a 40% margin on your per caps. And it's easy to imagine $20, $25, $30 per cap. You know, sponsors might have a, a deal that they they pay extra for that. I don't know. Uh, we do know that ticket prices jump dramatically in the playoffs. So even though the gate of the Raptors might be $2 million a year, it probably jumps to three, three and a half million. Uh, there's T-shirt sales. So all in all, it can be huge, just huge, that, you know, already the NBA took a beating with the whole Chinese thing, and it's, it's affecting the uh, salary cap for next year. Um, this could be almost as material as maybe more. Can you put a, a total number on that if, if we're looking at the, you know, your per cap per, no. per games in the playoffs plus the plus the gate that you're talking about there and, and no, Unfortunately, I've been retired for eight years and and my knowledge of the financials of a franchise aren't near as good. Fair but enough. it's a lot of money. I, I can tell you this, Richard, that the margin charged by pro sports teams now on sodas and foam fingers and French fries is still very high. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, like you take cinemas today, they don't make monies on the movies. They make money on the hot dogs and popcorn. So uh, they, we're not at that level in pro sports. But it's not just me that. It's, uh, you know, we were when we launched Toronto FC, we were blown away by how much we were making uh, per caps because soccer or football fans love to drink beer. <laughs> we're talking about the virus and the possible effect on sports. Do you have any guess? What would your conversations be like? Who do you talk to? Do you talk to local health officials? Do you wait for a national? Are you talking to the league? What would you do? How would you proceed if we were at a spot now where, let's say, California has declared state of emergency? Of course, Staples Center has two teams. They're saying they're going to continue to play right now. However, in other parts of the world, as we've discussed, they're saying no large gatherings. Well, in Toronto, we would, you know, going through SARS, and it, it, was, it was a mess. And, and we, we, when I say we, the, the health uh, professionals, learned a lot through SARS. So we've got an excellent health system. Unlike your country, we listen to the scientists and the heart and the health experts. So our first call would be to them, and they would they would come up with a lot of ideas. We would go to them. Would we go to them? I think to help prepare to for a discussion with uh, the leagues, which is going to come in, and there might be things unique to Canada based on their experience and learning that we would offer to uh, the league, saying, you know, this is our experience and this is what our experts are telling us. If uh, we had such great relationships with those people that uh, we might invite them to the call if the commissioners were open to it. So we would definitely be up to speed on what our local experts were saying. But then, again, both leagues are sophisticated. 
They're going to be calling in experts. And, um, you know, I think there's going to be 30, 30 teams in, in the NBA and a whack of teams in the NHL on the same call. Um, I don't imagine that we're going to be flying people into New York. Uh, that The flights are going to start taking the heat and, and having no shows. So I imagine it's going to be a conference call and there's going to be a lot of people listening and, um, and you know, follow-up documents and procedures on what to do. I asked this question of the NCAA folks earlier this week, but, you know, it seems like a very easy, you know, if, if the government comes out and says no gatherings in California of more than a thousand people, that's very easy, right? You're not, you're not hosting uh, fans at, at Clippers and Lakers games. Uh, it seems more interesting to me in this middle ground where the government is still allowing these events to take place, but maybe teams and leagues need to decide on their own do we want to host these or not? Do you think that there are teams out there that are that are maybe willing to go further than what the CDC or what the government organizations are suggesting, or do you think they are fully taking their cues directly from what you know government health officials are saying? Well, you've hit it right on the nose. If the government says close down, you close down. It's that gray area in between, and then you know the. You know, I always say a value is not a value until it costs you something. So if you've got a value saying, listen, we want healthy entertainment and, you know, a, a safe place to, to host our games, and you believe in that value, and you go, well, we're not sure it's going to be safe. So, you know, to adhere to our value, to be true to our value, we have to shut down. And then that's where the value costs you something. The government says you can host your event, but your value says, no, we shouldn't be doing this. And, man, we're going to have to forego millions of dollars. So that's a real dilemma because they're going to be criticized. There will be people in the community that says you should be closed down. It's going to be all over Twitter and social media. And they almost can't win on that. Uh, because, listen, the you know, yes, the money is a driving force. But, you know, these are people who live in the community, have families and friends, and, and they're worried as well. And, um, you know, they're probably even personally worried, do I want to be in the building? and um, interacting with fans. So it's going to be a real dilemma for them. It really a difficult, it, you almost want, you want the league to make the decision for you. What kind of insurance does a team or the, the group that owns a team have for event cancellation or for business interruption? Uh, what kind of insurance do you have and what gets covered under kind of the standard types of that insurance when it comes to, to outbreaks like this? Well, that's an excellent question, and and I'm I don't have the answer for that, but yeah, I can imagine there is something that you can call on. I, I'm not sure. No one's, you know, I haven't read any stories yet about insurance coverage and how much this could cost to the insurance industry. But you know, I think it's an excellent question, and I think there might be something, and maybe the the CFOs of the companies are pouring through their insurance documents right now. Um, I, I I bet you they're not all the same. Um, you know, there's a standard uh, agreement for facility agreements with each team that the NBA has. I can't remember if there was insur- what the insurance clause was in that or insurance obligations. Um, so I bet you there's it varies from franchise to franchise. I'm guessing here, and it will and it will vary on how you know insurance companies battle the insuree on interpretation all the time. So that that's something that could play out. But you won't know when you're when you're making that decision to close, I don't think you'll have the answer to that. You won't be able to say, Yeah, I'm good with closing because I can recoup it all 
I don't think they'll know. We've we've been on a downer for much of the program about how coronavirus might uh, affect things like attendance. Um, let, let, let's do the uplifting stuff here, the good part of sports. You've been out of it a little while. What's your view of sport now as an outsider in terms of media, in terms of distribution, in terms of entertainment? What's your take on it now and how you see the industry growing, uh, particularly on the media side? Well, it's getting increasingly more sophisticated. The reach through technology has expanded dramatically. There are so many ways you can consume sports today, um, so many more. Um, you know, I wasn't even on Twitter when I was president and, and the social media platforms that are available to me today. So there's no doubt that, that the leagues are increasingly sophisticated. And again, I keep pointing to, you know, what David Stern started with uh, NBA TV and what um, Adam is continuing to do. Boy, they're, they're just finding ways to deliver the sports experience wherever you want it and how you want it. And at the same time, monetize it. And, you know, I'm, I, I keep wondering what the impact will be of the cord cutters and cord nevers when the ESPN's uh, cable revenue drops. How will they afford new broadcast deals? Well, they're making it up by expansion internationally and with new um, digital platforms. So I, I'm, I'm quite amazed. It's, uh, it's, it's quite fascinating. It's uh you know, I can remember when I first started, God, I first started with the Raptors 22 years ago. It was pretty simple stuff. I could follow it along, and the collective bargain agreements were easy. And now, wow, it's, uh, you know, you know you've know, got all these financial experts, and you've got technical departments that you never had before. It's quite amazing and impressive. What's your setup at home? Have you Pardon cut me? the cord? Do you, do you have cable? Do you have satellite? Do you uh, direct to consumer? What's, how do you watch your sports? Uh, I'm still uh, I'm still on uh, cable. Yay. I still watch that way. Okay. See, that... You know, I, I follow. I follow. Uh, I must admit, I lots of times I don't watch the games. I I follow it online because I'm interested in the box score, so I can do something else at the same time. But heck, I'm old and I'm not uh, 20 years <laughs> hey, old. I, I'm with you. <laughs> I I say the exact same thing. I, I am a cable guy. And yes, I have a setup where if I want to check my fantasy sports or whatever for the box scores and things like that. But I'm just from the mindset of I got to have a cable because uh, I can get all these channels here and I always worry if the internet goes out, that's it. But at least I still have cable. Well, with that said, Richard, though, I'm curious, how do you stand then? Where do you stand on, let's say, an ESPN uh, if you're if you're weighing the price of acquisition for sports programming, and we know that goes into the multi billions of dollars, and you're having fewer customers uh, pay for the cable, which was of course the main revenue stream, and now they're cord cutters, you don't get quite as much from ESPN Plus. Are you confident that the revenues of these leagues will remain where they are, or might they experience a dip because of uh, these networks? being unwilling or unable to spend as much as they once did. Well, until recently, I've read some articles, and I can't quote them exactly, but I've been in the case where watch out the next, you know, I'm thinking of the players that get 50% of the revenue and, and expecting that um, the salary cap is going up every year. Watch when this, I don't know when the ESPN deal expires and, and, and the others that, that the NBA is counting on. I've been saying for a long time, like, wow, they're gonna, there's going to be a big surprise. There's going to be a big haircut. 
But then I'm reading that whether it's all the other platforms and going internationally, that they're looking at another big jump. So I don't know, uh, again, um, you know, people like Adam Silver, I think, will pull, pull the rabbit out of a hat again. But, yeah, I'd, I'd be a little worried about that. And, and you know, the players, will, they, they'll be shocked if, if uh, you know, salary caps come down. I mean, already with the Chinese thing happening, it's already, as I understand it, potentially impacted the salary cap for next year. Yeah, you're looking well, at three, now, or, three or $400 million hit. Yeah, I think they get upwards of 50% of the gate. So imagine what the gate is that they could lose. So next year, in, in a couple of months, there could be a big surprise in the salary cap next year. Richard, you were there in the beginning for the Raptors, you know, a lot of lean years in the beginning, but I'm curious how you how you felt watching the team uh, finally win an NBA championship this year. Yeah, it was pretty it was pretty cool. I was I was at the game when I was hoping they were going to confirm it at home, but they had to go back to the West Coast to win and that was pretty nice. Uh, you know, that's that was a case a team that Dwayne Casey got them in a position to do it. Uh, Messiah is an outstanding general manager. You know, it's it's a locker room without any drama. There's no egos. I watch how some players close to where you guys are located destroy locker rooms, and they have none of that there. So it was really great. And then my friend Larry Tannenbaum, who I worked for for 14 years, was good enough to give me a championship ring. So it was all good. Great. And, and Toronto obviously will never, I mean, will probably never not be a hockey town. But you know, so much attention being paid now to Canadian players that are that are doing well in the NBA. The Canadian national team is doing better. The Raptors' success. How do you judge the, the strength of the business of basketball right now in Canada? Well, you know, basketball is the number two sport in the world, and the first one is football. And, um, you know, Toronto, over 50% of the population was not born in, in Canada. They're from all over the world. They're not from Europe anymore. They're from all the diverse countries in the world. It's the most diverse uh, gr- group of people, and so they, they and we, we still bring in a lot of immigrants, and uh, they're not coming from hockey countries. They're coming from football and basketball and cricket countries now. So basketball is really grown. And but the reason I brought Toronto FC and brought the MLS to Canada because I looked at I looked at the demographics of um, of, of Toronto. I first looked at bringing an MLS team to Toronto in 1993, and it was an easy one, you know, a decade later, more than a decade, because the demographics and uh, spoke to it. So, yeah, I, I think the, the teams of the future are Toronto FC and, and the Toronto Raptors. Not to say that, the you know, hockey is still very much in our DNA, but it definitely won't be, you know, the, the number one that it is today. You go to a hockey game with the Leafs, it looks like old Toronto. You go to a basketball game with the Raptors, it looks like new Toronto. Will the money follow? If that is true, will the money follow where the Raptors will continue to see a rise in valuation and, and the Leafs may one day be behind basketball? And I mean, I don't know if I'm ready to say behind the soccer team yet, but the valuations there are rising in that league too. Well, you see it, the enterprise value already. If you believe Bloomberg... I do. I, uh, for the record, I do. Yeah, you, guys, you guys, of course, believe Bloomberg. Uh, but I think Forbes gave the Raptors $2.1 billion, and I think they gave the Leafs $1.6 billion U.S. But I can tell you, way back when we first mer- merged with the Leafs, I almost had, when we're doing sponsorship deals, I almost had to you know, throw in the Raptors portion at a discount. Uh, I'm not out hmm. there selling the sponsorships now, but I wouldn't be surprised in a lot of those categories. Uh, the, the sponsors are taking 
the brands because of the Raptors, not because of the Leafs. Wow, the Leafs are the throw-in now, or the add-on. Wow, who, who would have I thought that? I would call that? them a throw-in. I mean, they still have a bigger television audience. Uh, I bet their gate is still a little bit higher, but well, I'm not sure. Uh, but, boy, the Raptors are catching up. And, you know, it's a franchise that I sold for $2 billion Canadian eight years ago, and now it's the whole MLS thing is going to be worth 4 or $5 billion U.S. And the Raptors, and in a little way, Toronto FC have, have added to that. And it's certainly, it's a media play, it's a real estate play, as sports is nowadays, it's not just the games. Uh, Richard, b- before we go, I want to let you tell uh, let you tell everybody what you're doing with your bookstore, by the way. Talk about old school people <laughs> reading books. Tell them what you're doing. <laughs> well, uh, actually, independent bookstores are making a big recovery in the United States. And I've you know, been a bibliophile all my life. I've written two books. And uh, I'm down in this little community that, of 24,000. And I'm trying to really jumpstart it a bit. And there isn't a bookstore within 32 kilometers. And I believe that all great little communities need a good library and a bookstore. So I'm, going, I'm restoring a building that's 1885. I'm making it a, a bookshop. It's called the River Bookshop. And um, it's probably more of a philanthropy play than, than an investment. But um, it's going to make a difference in this community. And, and I'm getting a chance to buy six or 7,000 books. It's a lot of fun. Can I come and speak at it one day? Absolutely. As soon as you, have you published a book yet? Uh, I'm more of a magazine article guy, but not not a book. You know I don't have Scott, the discipline. You know I don't have the discipline Scott, to sit that long. Scott, uh, you'd be such a draw that uh, I I wouldn't be able to hold it in the bookstore because it'd only hold about sixty. I'd, I'd run a big haul for you. Oh shucks! Thank you so much. We appreciate it. <laughs> you ought to see his head now. Thank you so much, Richard Betty, former president and CEO of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. So glad you could take the time and talk with us, sir. Thanks, guys. It was a pleasure. I think the thing that I think about the most, and when he was talking about SARS, and you mentioned it, I mean, he went through something like this and the impact that it had on the game. And it, I just wonder now, down the road, what is this going to mean, the coronavirus, for any sporting event? Well, yeah, I think we're all wondering that. One, I'm still taking it back on the Maple Leafs or old Toronto and the, 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 yeah. the, the soccer and the basketball is the new Toronto and, and the enterprise value and the valuations I, that these other clubs, uh, basketball right now is more valuable than hockey. I mean, who would have thunk that the Maple Leafs you know, could one day be third banana in, in Toronto? But wow. Uh, and also if you, just him playing it down the line that the salary cap, we, we they just don't know. I mean... What happens if you can't have the fans and you don't get the perk caps and then you don't get the revenue? I mean, we all know salary cap is percentage of revenue. Are the players ready for lower cap for people? Are teams ready for to not be able to fit players under that cap and have to cut players? It, it, it could be a mess. Yeah, and I thought he, I mean, he kind of underscored how there's no playbook underscore. here. Again with the underscore. <laughs> Unbelievable. Every episode. He, there's no playbook here for team owners for team operators for arena operators it's not like they flip through the manual and go to disease outbreak and just start following the instructions uh, obviously it's a it's a very complex web of issues you need to look at not to mention the insurance you know as he mentioned which you know it's interesting that that as, as the way these things are written sometimes you don't have you don't know for sure when you cancel your games, whether or not you're covered under kind of the vagaries of of, of what exactly How about is the value in your, plates, your in, values you, even though they say you don't have to Maybe you have to. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, those are conversations that are happening 
in dozens, 20, 30, 40, 50 arenas and stadiums around the country, if not more, let alone around the world. How about his and pitch meeting, by the way, in New York? That Remember, that's a pitch meeting. I another, mean, another great example. Another like, great you know, example. When you think about sports teams, you don't necessarily think of these guys on the road Going trying to, to solicit institutional money. Yeah, solicit money from to make a pitch to institutional but investment. Them, saying, oh, no, 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 stay at the door. No, some no, no. of them are. Uh, so again, I think I think he did a good job of just showing the, the huge complexity that is happening in little pockets around the country and around the world right now. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since the kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Number of the week, about a million. And I'll give you a hint. This is from last season because of something that's coming up this season. About a million dollars or about a million non-dollars? <laughs> it, it's not dollars. It translates into dollars, but in this case, it's not dollars. That's the amount of people that went to a college football game last season. No. I'll give you, it is people. It's got to be more than that. Let's put it this way. The 2019 total attendance across major league games, all the major league games, it dropped by about a million fans in 2019. Dropped to about 68.5 million. And I'm hoping this season, uh, I hope the coronavirus does not impact that number again. It's going to. It's going to. (laughs) Okay, allow me to say it will. So much for being optimistic. There we go. Uh, You're listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports, and we're here each and every week at the same time, plus online, wherever you get your podcasts. You can catch those Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. I'm Evan Novi Williams at Novi underscore Williams. And I'm Scott Soshnick. You can follow me on Twitter at Soshnick. Thank you very much for joining us. Please tune in next week when we once again speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world.